0: Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Welcome to Riverside. I'm going to get this set up real quick. It came unplugged on the way out here. Sorry about that. Hey, so glad that you are here today. It's a wonderful day for us to gather together, especially uh, on today as we, um, again, re-engage this series we're calling Seeing Jesus. Um, It's a great day for a lot of reasons. Uh, One is because Rhonda's back. We're excited to welcome Rhonda Cullen back, our children's minister. Yeah, absolutely. So thankful that she can be back with us today after her sabbatical. Some of you know that she was able to step away for a few weeks and enjoy some time to rest, refresh, renew, pray, and be re-energized for ministry. I hope that happened for you. I'm excited to hear stories and to see how God worked in your life. And I know we're all excited to have you back. We missed you. So welcome back. Welcome home. Um, It is a great day for us to think about what does it mean for us to see Jesus? What does it mean for us to fix our eyes on Jesus together together? And today we want to kind of talk about that a little bit more because we do believe that we can see Jesus. We believe he is real. We believe that we can experience him. We believe that he wants to be seen. We believe that he wants to heal our blindness, especially our spiritual blindness. And we believe that he wants to touch our eyes so we can see his face and follow his lead. But the big question is, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus. And how do you see Jesus, especially when the storms of life hit? Uh, This past year, one of the best books I read, and I'm reading it again this year. We're going through it even as a staff. It's called Canoeing the Mountains. It's a book by a guy by the name of Todd Bolsinger. In that book, near the beginning of the book, he tells a story about his friend, Steve Yamaguchi, who is the dean of students at Fuller Theological Seminary. Steve went to take uh, flying lessons. He wanted to become a pilot. Some of you know this. Maybe you've done this, or maybe you know people that have done this. When you go to, to learn how to become a pilot, one of the parts of your training is you have to spend hours and hours and hours and hours in, in flight simulators to learn how the plane works and what you do in certain situations. And, and Steve got the hang of this and was in these flight simulators and was spending all of his hours and logging all of his hours in the flight simulators. And one day, he just had to ask his flight instructor, Why? Do we have to spend so much time in flight simulators? And his instructor looked at him, and he said this. He said, because in the moment of crisis, you will not rise to the occasion. You will default to your training. I think that's something that we need to think about. That in the moment of crisis, you will not rise to the occasion. You will default to your training. This is why sports teams, if you've ever played sports or you've ever coached a sport, or you've ever been around sports, you know this is true, that what sports teams do, what good coaches do, what good players do, is they run drills over and over and over again. And by the way, I've been asked to give a short sports center update. So ACU won their bracket. That means they're going to the big dance to the NCAA tournament, yeah, for all of our ACU fans. I mean, Lipscomb won last year. I didn't bring that up, but apparently I should have. Auburn plays today, just so you know, and if they win, well, they're going anyway, but that's another story. But um, that's our Sports Center update. This time of year, everybody's glued to basketball watching these teams play. And what's amazing is you see them make some incredible plays. And it's because their coaches have drilled them over and over again, they've taught them fundamentals over and over and over again. They've spent hours practicing because their coaches know. That when the game is on the line, when, when, when the crisis hit, when the ball comes to them and it's their opportunity, they will not rise to the occasion, but they will default to their training. And so what a good coach does is he wants to put his player in that situation over and over and over again. So in that moment, when all eyes are on that person, when the game is on the line and the ball comes to them, everyone's going to watch them make that play and they're going to think oh they rose to the occasion but they'll know no i just did what i did a thousand times before this moment in practice and what i did when no one else was looking made a difference in this moment when everyone was looking because you will not rise to the occasion what we do is we default to our training this is why and if you've ever been a parent then you know this. If you've ever been a kid, you know this. You remember when you were a kid, your parents used to say things to you, and you swore, you promised yourself that one day when you became a parent, you would never say that to your kids. But now you're driving down I-35. Traffic is terrible. Your kids are screaming in the back, and they're yelling at each other, and they're whining, and they're complaining. They're drawing imaginary lines and saying, don't cross this line, and they start slapping each other. And you look up in the rearview mirror in a moment of rage, and you say, don't make me pull this car over. There's no there's no shoulder on I-35. You can't pull the car over. They know you're not going to pull the car over. But you say, "Don't make." Why do you say that? Because in the moment of crisis, we don't rise to the occasion. We default to our training. That's why, even though you promised your spouse you're going to be different this year, you're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better wife. You're going to handle things differently. You're going to handle conflict differently. You even read the latest book on marriage, and you're trying to take the things you're learning and put them into practice. That when things get tough, finances are tight, things didn't go the way you thought they should, that that moment ends like a thousand moments before it. Because when crisis hits, we don't rise to the occasion, we default to our training. That's when, when it's been a hard day and it's been, it's just been, it's been a rough at work or rough in life and stuff is happening and And you get home and you're all alone, and even though you've promised God a million times before, you wouldn't do this one thing, whatever this one thing is. In the moment of crisis, you don't rise to the occasion, you default to your training. And that temptation, whatever it is, you run back to because you need that moment of escape. And we don't rise to the occasion, we default to our training. This is why in one moment you can be so full of faith. And in the very next moment, be so incredibly full of fear you remember this moment let's see if this works i think this is what happened for our for our friend peter you remember this moment when when peter was so incredibly full of faith in one moment so so much so that he literally got out of a boat in the middle of a storm and walked on water with jesus and then he saw the wind and the waves and he defaulted to his training and he began to sink I love the way I came across this picture last year. This is an image, a painting by a guy by the name of Morgan Weisling. He published this back in 2013. Lots of different artists have tried to capture this moment. And and I love looking at these images and seeing what we can learn from them and from the way they see this moment. I want to have this image with me today as we sort of walk through the story. This is the way Morgan Weisling painted and imagined this moment. I want to share with you, though, the way that Matthew, who I believe was there that day, saw this moment. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can open up to Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 22. And this is how Matthew paints the picture. Matthew says in verse 22, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. So just a little bit of context, Jesus has just found out that his friend, his cousin, his partner in ministry, John the baptizer, has just been killed, executed, murdered. Jesus hears the news, and and, and if you've ever wondered, does Jesus experience grief? The answer is yes. When Jesus found out that his friend, his cousin, his partner in ministry, John the baptizer, had been killed, had died, Jesus just wanted to be alone. And you can back up and read for yourself in this same chapter. Jesus is trying to go and be alone. Go be by himself and pray. But as he's trying to do that, crowds find him and crowds surround him. And Jesus does what Jesus always does. He has compassion on the crowd and he feeds the the 5,000 plus that day with five loaves of bread and two fish. He heals their sick. And when that moment of ministry is done, he sends them away. You know he has to be just tired and exhausted. He sends his disciples in a boat out on the Sea of Galilee and he retreats up into the hills around the sea just so he can be alone, so he can pray, so he can grieve the loss of his friend, his brother, John. Then Matthew says in verse 24, Meanwhile, night has fallen. The disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen. And they were fighting... The heavy waves. Other translations in that same verse say that their boat was beaten and battered by the wind and the waves. That word is a literal translation of the word tortured. So you can just imagine how fierce and how severe and how strong the storm was that was coming against these disciples in the boat. And some of these disciples, if you remember, when Jesus called them, they were trained fishermen, they they were experienced. And so in this moment, for them to be in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, for them to be afraid, you know this is a serious storm. One of my favorite things to do growing up with my dad, we would always go fishing. And there were several times, more than once, we would be out on the water in the boat and we would see the storm clouds roll in. And whenever we saw that, we would... Work quickly to get the boat off the water. You don't want to be on the water when the storm comes in. You don't want lightning to strike when you're on the water in the boat. You want to get off the water. These disciples knew, we got to get off the water. They had the training. They had the experience. They knew what to do. But the boat was being battered by the wind and the waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, so Jesus has been praying all night. 9 o'clock comes, Jesus is praying. 10 o'clock comes, Jesus is praying midnight rolls around, Jesus is still grieving and praying and spending time with his heavenly father. Three o'clock comes, and Jesus decided to come toward them, walking on the water. He's been up all night, but now he decides it's time to go catch up with his disciples. And here's the thing about Jesus. When you're the son of God, you don't need a boat to get from shore to get to another boat on the lake. If you're the messiah if you're jesus if you're the son of god you just walk on that same water you once created to the boat wherever you want to go right that's what you do when you're the son of god and i think we kind of skip over that sometimes but but i think this is important just to kind of kind of pause and think about it for a moment whatever it is that you think is separating you from the son of god it doesn't separate you from the son of god you see that you see it right here jesus just walks on the water coming towards them in the boat. So whatever it is that you think separates you from God, it can't separate you from God. Paul would later write, there's actually nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And Jesus demonstrates it right here. Jesus walks off the shore and he doesn't even pause. He just keeps right on walking on the water in the middle of a storm towards his disciples who were in the boat, who were in trouble. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, of course. In fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. And you know what Jesus says to his friends every time his friends get scared? If you've read the Gospels even once, you've probably picked up on this. He says it a lot. Jesus spoke to them at once, and he said these words, don't be afraid. And he said, take courage, I am here. Now, I don't want to do a full Greek lesson here but I do want to push pause because what what Jesus literally says here is don't be afraid take courage I am is here. That's important. You may remember that the very first time God ever revealed his name it was to a man named Moses at a bush that was burning but it wasn't burning up and God was asking Moses to be the one to lead his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery into freedom, into the promised land. And when Moses said, who do I say has sent me? When I go to the people and I say, hey, I've been sent to lead you out, who do I say sent me? And God told Moses this in Exodus 3.14. He says, tell him this, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. When God reveals his name, he says, my name is I Am. And now Jesus is on the water. His disciples are in the boat. They're trapped. They're in their own version of bondage and slavery and trouble and calamity. And when they're there terrified, looking at Jesus, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I Am is here. Wow. I Am is here. Let's be honest. We could stop the story right there, and that would be enough, right? If we stopped right here and all you got today was that in the middle of your darkest night, in the middle of whatever storm is raging around your life right now, if you could know that whatever it is that you think separates you from God doesn't separate you from God, and Jesus is going to walk right through that storm, right over those waters, right to you, and you could hear him say these words, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am is here that would be enough amen that would be enough but the story doesn't stop there peter calls out to him and he says lord if it's really you lord if it's really you if i am is really here lord if it's really you then tell me to come to you walking on the water and it's at this point that you may be thinking peter what are you doing because the wind is still blowing The storm is still raging. The rain is still coming down. The waves are still crashing in. Jesus has not yet calmed the storm. The storm is still fierce. The boat is still rocking. And Peter looks out to what he thinks is Jesus, and he says, Lord, if it's really you, if I am is really here, then just tell me to come to where you are. And I think this is important because I don't know, if I'm Peter, in that moment, I would probably say, Jesus, come get in the boat, man. (laughs) It's raining. The storm is raging. What are you doing out there? You know, Jesus, if it's really you, calm the storm. You've done that before. Tell it to stop already. We're dying out here. But what does Peter say? Lord, if it's really you, if I am is really here, then call me. Because I want to come out of the boat, and I want to walk on the water through the storm to be where you are. And this is the invitation invitation of Jesus. Verse 29, Jesus said, yes, come. This is the invitation of Jesus right here. The invitation of Jesus is to, to get out of the boat, to get out of that area of presumed safety that you've put yourself in. And to walk on the water through the storm so so that you can be wherever Jesus is. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on the water toward Jesus. And I think it's important because I don't know if you've ever tried this. It's really hard to walk towards something you're not looking at. Some of you know this because you've walked with your phone and you've run into stuff. (laughs) You know? We've experienced this before. It's really hard to walk towards something that you're not looking at. So Peter fixes his eyes on Jesus. He gets out of the boat and he walks through the wind and the rain towards Jesus. He has his eyes fixed on Jesus. And even though the storm is raging around him, Peter has inner peace because he has his eyes fixed on the Prince of Peace. But then this happens in verse 30. When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. What is it like to be full of faith in one moment and then full of fear the very next? Man, just ask Peter. And it's at this point in the story that whenever you hear this text read or preached or you're together with your friends and you're talking through the story, the same thing always comes up, right? Hey, just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you too can walk on water. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you won't sink. Don't look at the wind and the waves and you're going to be okay as a person of faith. I don't know how many times I've heard that exact same sermon preached, that exact same thought shared. Uh, Some of you know this. We've talked about this a few times. But back in October of last year, Alicia and I, we were on a trip in Israel, and we actually got to be on a boat on the Sea of Galilee when night fell. And part of me was secretly hoping for a storm, I'll be honest. (laughs) It didn't. It was a nice, calm, peaceful night. But we gathered on that boat, and sure enough, Uh, At one point we got together we sang some songs and a a guy got up and he he read this story and and this was his point Keep your eyes fixed on jesus Don't take your eyes off of jesus It's when we take our eyes off of jesus that we get into trouble. and We begin to sink and the storms of life hit Later that night, we're still in the boat. The sun is going down And I walked over to yoel yoel is our our guide on the trip He's um, a Jewish man that lives in Israel. This is his job. He travels with groups and and shares different things along the way. The wonderful thing about Yoel is that he's actually a believer in Jesus. And so at at one point that night, we're on the boat, and I went over and I asked him, I said, Yoel, is this how you read the story? Like, this is how we've always read the story. This is how I've always heard the story read. But as someone who grew up in the land, as someone who grew up near the Sea of Galilee, as someone who's been here a a million times, like, is this how you read the story? He says, Well, That's definitely one way to read the story. He said, but I think there's another way to read the story. I said, tell me. I I would love to know. He's like, well, I think the story is really about identity. I was like, what are you talking about? Identity. He said, well, I think this story points back to Moses. And again, we've already seen that because the first time God revealed his name, he revealed it to Moses and he said, my name is I Am. And now Jesus on the water has has said that exact same thing in Greek, but he says, I am, is here. And you all said it, as long as Peter had his face towards the face of Jesus, he was able to have his identity and to have this ability. You think about Moses. When Moses was born, he was born at a time when the Pharaoh in Egypt was trying to kill all the babies, all the Hebrew boys in Egypt. And so Moses' parents, they took him and they put him in a basket, and they put him in the river, and then he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. And when she found him, she could have had him killed, but she didn't. She decided she wanted to keep him. And her daddy said, yeah, you can keep him, Right. And so she named him Moses, Moshe, which literally means drawn from the water. So Moses' name, it's a reminder of his identity. This is who you are. You are someone who has been drawn from the water, saved by the water, rescued from the water, lifted from the water. This is who you are. This is your name. This is your identity. But that wasn't Moses' last encounter with God and with water. If you know the story, when Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt towards the promised land, they come to one of their first obstacles. There's the Red Sea before them raging in front of them. Behind them is Pharaoh and his armies who have decided that they've changed their minds. They want to capture the people again. So with the Red Sea before him and the the army behind him, Moses has has to ask God, what do we do? And God tells Moses not to lead people over the surface of the water like Jesus does in this moment but to lead them through the water on dry ground. God separates the waters and delivers Moses and the people of God through the water on dry ground. How was Moses able to do that? Moses was known as someone who spoke face-to-face with God as one speaks to a friend. This is how Moses was known, remembered, remembered thought of this was his identity and as long as Moses had this face-to-face relationship with God he had his identity intact to be who God called him to be and this incredible ability to do what God called him to do And now Peter, in this moment, gets out of the boat. And as long as he's face-to-face with Jesus, his identity is intact to be who Jesus is calling him to be. And this incredible ability to walk on water, to do what God has called him to do, as long as he's face-to-face with Jesus, his identity and his ability is intact. It was only when Moses took his face away from God that Moses experienced fear and failure. And it was only when Peter... Turned his face away from Jesus. That he began to sink. Maybe the story has more to do with our identity. So Peter cries out, save me, Lord. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, that's when the wind stopped. And then the disciples worshiped him with this chorus. You really are the son of God. Sometimes I think we fast forward through those verses, but you you see what happened, right? When Peter resets his face towards Jesus, he regains his identity to be who God called him to be and his ability to do what God god called him to do and jesus and peter walk again through the storm back to the boat and it's when they get in the boat that the storm stops so the question i want to ask you today is where do you get your identity from where where do you get your identity from I think this is what happens for a lot of us, and I want to just kind of zoom in on this picture for a moment. I think some of us get it right here. It's a little fuzzy on my screen, but you know what's behind Jesus and Peter in the picture is the boat. And in the boat, the whole time this is going on with Jesus and Peter, the disciples, the rest of them are back here scrambling. They're still belling water. They're still trying to keep the boat, you know, from capsizing. They're, They're still working like crazy. Jesus is only a few feet away. At any moment, they can cry out to the Son of God who's standing on top of water to help. But they're still going at it, frantically trying to preserve their own lives and to keep things intact while the Messiah is still right there with an eye shot. How many times, how often do you find your identity and trying to keep your boat, your world, your life, your house, whatever it is you're worried about, right side up. And Jesus is right there waiting and reeling to help. But what we do is we crop him out of the picture. We crop him out of the picture, and then when things don't go our way, we yell at him, and we scream at him, and we pray to him, and we say, where were you when I needed you the most? He's right over here. We've just cropped him out. What we've done is we've found our identity in our own self-reliance we we've come to the church and we've said our prayers and we've read our scriptures and we know the stories but when when it comes to our own life and our own world when the crisis hits we do not rise to the occasion we default to our training and our training says it's up to us to fix it or maybe you find it in the wind and the waves kind of zoomed to the bottom, you can kind of see these waves are, are crashing in and they're moving all around. You can see the wind blowing you know this way. The, the, they're the garment of Jesus. And, and you know the wind and the waves in this moment are raging. The storm is raging. And some of you, if you're just being honest with yourself, this is probably where you find your identity. And you would think, no, I don't find my identity in the storm. What are you talking about? But some of you are like this, and some of you know people who are like this. I've been like this, that whenever you talk to them, whoever they are, all they can tell you about, let me tell you what happened to me this week. You're not going to believe what happened this time. What's going to happen if this happens? Or did you hear what they did and what's going to happen to me because they did this and because that happened to them? And they're all wrapped up in their own drama, their own story, their own saga. And the headline of every story, the headline of every conversation is, look what happened to me. Some people are wrapped up and they find their identity in the, the storm of, of work. You know this because every email, every beep, every text message, every phone call, they are Johnny on the spot. They've got to take everyone. They've got to know exactly what's going on. They're talking to people, and they're talking to people about people at their work because they want to know what's happening. They don't want anything to be outside of their control or their ability to manage or manipulate, and they're all wrapped up in the storm. They can't separate themselves from the storm. In fact, if you ask them, hey, you know, who are you? They'll tell you their name, and then they'll tell you what they do that's who they are. They're wrapped up. Their identity is tied to their work. Some people, it's just flat-out worry. They are worried about the wind and the waves. They're worried about their work. They're worried about their family. They're worried about their kids. They're worried about their parents. They're worried about the people across the street. They're worried about the government. They're worried about everything in the world. In fact, they can't remember a time when they weren't worried. They wouldn't know who they were apart from worry. They've so turned their face towards their worries that that's just who they've become. They're just worried. I, I don't know what it is. It can be anything, right? So, whatever you set your face towards, that becomes who you are. Peter was an experienced fisherman. And when he turned his face from Jesus and he saw the boat in trouble and he saw the wind and the waves coming at him and he felt the, 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 the mist on his face, Crashing in, He knew. He defaulted to his training. What does a fisherman know on the Sea of Galilee when a storm comes up at night and you have gale force winds and you do not have a boat, you die. This is what happens. He knew this. He was a trained fisherman. What he should have known from following Jesus is that when you walk with Jesus, no matter where you walk, even if it's on water, You have nothing to fear. But in the moment of crisis, we do not rise to the occasion. We default to our training. And for a lot of us, what we want to default to is to a place of safety. That's what we default to. We've traded in the adventure-filled life with Jesus to stay back in the boat and be safe. We've traded in the opportunity to even walk on water for our own comfort. And when we pray to God, we don't pray to God. We don't even long for God. The God we pray to and the God we long for is the God of safety. And yet Jesus is in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night, inviting us out into the water. And Peter, to his credit, he didn't find his safety in that boat. And he stepped out of the boat onto the water. He didn't find his identity in the storm. He did lose it for a moment there. But you know what the beautiful thing is? When, when you walk with Jesus and you do fall, guess what happens? He's right there to pick you up. It's amazing. Whenever you walk with Jesus and you do fall for whatever reason, if you t- turn your face for a moment, if you lose your focus for a moment... He's right there, and what I love about this image is that when Peter looks up to Jesus and he cries out, Lord, save me, what does Peter see? Well, you might say Peter sees the face of Jesus, and you're exactly right. I love that, and we can stop right there, but that's not all that Peter sees, right? Peter doesn't just see the face of Jesus. What does Peter see? Peter sees the face of Jesus seeing Peter. This is why I want you to see Jesus, because when you see Jesus, what you're going to see is you're going to see Jesus seeing you, and you're going to see his compassion, and you're going to see his love, and you're going to see his rescue, and you're going to see his salvation, and you're going to see him looking down on you with such mercy and grace to lift you up out of whatever it is you've gotten yourself into, and all you have to do is turn your face to Jesus. And this is the imitation of Jesus. You see it over and over again in almost every story. And the imitation of Jesus is to find your identity in Him, to turn your face to Him so you can see Him and not just see Him. You can see Him seeing you. You can see Him seeing you, looking on you with love, looking on you with pride. You may not know this, but when Jesus sees you, you know what He sees? He sees His son, He sees His daughter. He's so proud. He loves watching you do what you do. I told my son one day, driving to baseball, I'm like, man, I want you to know I love watching you play, but you know what? God loves watching you play. Your father loves watching you do whatever it is that you do that you love. And when you do it, when you love it, he loves it. And it brings him glory and honor and praise. When you go to your job this week and you go to work and you do what you do and you do it for his glory glory, and he 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 loves every minute. He's watching it. And he's like, hey, did you see that? You see what he did? Isn't that awesome? That's my kid. That's my boy. That's my girl. When you see Jesus, what you see is you see him seeing you. And this is why it's so important for us to do this. This is why it's so important for you to practice the presence of Jesus, practice seeing Jesus in his word, practice seeing Jesus in prayer because when the moment of crisis hits, you will default to your training. You will not rise to the occasion. So when crisis hits, when the storm hits, when you've practiced every day, when no one else was looking, seeing Jesus, then when the storm hits, instead of turning to yourself, instead of turning back to the boat, instead of setting your eyes towards the the wind and the waves that are around you, you can turn your face back towards the face of the Son of God. And He will do what He always does. He will rescue you. Church, let's stand. Sometimes we spend so much time in this story talking about Peter, but we forget to think about where the story began. You remember where the story began? Jesus just lost someone he loved. John had been killed. And where did Jesus turn when the storms of life hit Jesus? Jesus went to be alone, to pray to the great I am. So whenever the storms of life hit you, here's what I want you to know. You can see Jesus. And when you turn your face towards Jesus, you can hear him say, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am is here. Today, if you're in the middle of the storms of life, our shepherds and their wives are around the room, and they would love to to just meet with you and pray with you and encourage you and bless you and help you in any way that we can. And so we're going to sing this song, but I want you to know that you can be encouraged today. And if you're walking through a storm today, if you're sinking, if you're drowning, if if you need something or someone to reach up to, you can reach up to God. But we've got people in this room, shepherds and their wives, who would love nothing more than to be a physical person you can grab onto in this moment, and they would love nothing more than to pray with you and usher you into the presence of the great I Am. But this week, let's find our identity. Some of us, we need to find it again, so I want to encourage you and invite you to turn your face once again towards Jesus, to be who he called you to be, and to do what he has called you to do. Let's sing.